And so I'm starting a new series today about what we're going to do to make sure that we don't leave the glory here. My subject is entitled, or the series is Transferring the Glory. And I want to read from the book of Exodus. And these scriptures, wow, do they ever speak to me. Exodus 33, 12 through 17. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will sin with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. Can I have somebody just lift their hands and say, thank you for knowing us by name. And you have also, God said, found grace in my sight. Moses is quoting that back to God. Wow. I thank God that this church has found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then this is what Moses prays. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And that's what I'm praying to God. God, this church is your church. It's not mine. I told the general contractor that yesterday, and this is God's response. He said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, this is Moses back to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. And that's what resonates with me so strongly. Moses said, God, look, look, I'm going to tell you how it is. As much as I want to go to the promised land, I'm not going if you don't go with me. I need you to go with me. I can't live without you. It's not about houses and whales that that are already there. It's not about vineyards or land that flows with milk and honey. I need you, God. Amen. And then this is what God said. Moses continues first, though. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight Except you go with us, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. And literally when God's presence is with you, it separates you from the rest of the world. I don't mean builds a wall around you so that people can't find you. I mean there's such a, 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 a favor on your life that everybody else looks and says, wow, I wish I had that going on in my life too. And Moses said, God, if that doesn't go, if your presence doesn't go, we're not going. We'll stay right here in the wilderness rather than go to the promised land. And this is what the Lord said to Moses. I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. I know you by name. God said, I'm going with you. Can I hear somebody in the building say amen? And that's what it's all about. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 17, I'll read this. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And read this with me out loud. And where the Spirit of the Lord is. Say that, is. Not was, is. There is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord, we're transformed into glory from, from that image that we have presently from glory to glory. 
transformed, transformed from glory to glory, glory to glory, glory to glory. Don't stay here where the glory is now. Transformed as we move from one glory to another. My subject today is from glory to glory. Father, what Moses expressed is genuinely the cry of every heart of every member that is here. We'd rather stay in the wilderness than to leave you. But we know that you are in this, so help us today because your presence is what we need. You have promised us that you would go with us. Help us as a church to be able to move forward together into the future with unity. And Lord, embrace the challenges as well as the promises and the hopes that you have for us. Thank you for bringing us to this place. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let me paraphrase. What Moses was saying was, God, I'm not doing church without you. Can I ever relate to that? Once you've ever had an encounter with God, the last thing you want to do is get up here and give a 40-minute lecture where God is not at. Where God is not in what you say and where God is not in the pews among those who are listening. As bad as slavery in Egypt was and as terrible a place as the wilderness certainly must have been, and as for as long as Israel had dreamed of the promised land, Moses was very clear to God about this one thing. God, I'm staying right here if you don't go with us. I'd rather have you in the wilderness than to be without you in the promised land. That speaks to me. That's because the need to know and worship God, as I've said before, is one of the most profound and deeply felt needs that is known to mankind. It exists in every one of us. You have a need to know God. I've quoted before Dr. Viktor Frankl, who to me is a real hero. He's deceased and gone now, but he was a a concentration camp survivor, Austrian psychiatrist and urologist. He called that emptiness within us the existential vacuum. Someone else called it the emptiness that cries louder than the howling wind. Many people do not recognize this need within them for what it actually is. And so they usually think it's a desire for something else, a thirst for knowledge, a desire to accumulate possessions or a hunger for meaningful connections and relationships, a new job or a new someone in their life, a new house, a new location. Let's move across the country. Let's go to the mountains. No, we're going to go live in the swamplands of Louisiana. Just something inside an affair, something. They don't know what this emptiness is. But I can tell you this, you can search your entire life to find meaning and try to feel that emptiness with many things, but it can never be filled except by God alone. Never. Amen. You can try to make your companion feel it. The truth of the matter is much of the counseling that we do as counselors, as a pastor, is not really about a fault that exists in the companion that you're with. It's about you trying to make that person feel the emptiness on the inside. Because we get this idea that when you fall in love and get married, you know, it's happily ever after and all of, yeah, really. Mm. Come see me six months from now. Nothing, not your companion, not possessions, not, 
not goods, not trips, not homes, not cars, not affairs. Nothing can satisfy the emptiness in your life. Ask Tyson Fury. How many of you know the name Tyson Fury? Tyson Fury is the current heavyweight champion of the world, boxer, heavyweight champion of the world. He defeated Vladimir Klitschko to become the heavyweight champion. Do you realize how hard that had to be? I'm serious. I don't like getting punched in the face. Is there anybody here that likes that? He did it for a living. Think of the days of grueling road work. I don't like to run. The weightlifting, the sparring, the years of the fights you have to take, starting at the bottom of the totem pole, fights with nobodies because you're a nobody. And you gradually work your way up until finally you're the number one contender. And there's your shot. And he defeated Vladimir Klitschko, the Ukrainian boxer, to become the heavyweight champion of the world. And like many people, he thought, once I achieve my dream, I'm good, man. I'm happy from that time forward. But shortly after winning the title, Tyson Fury went into a severe depression so deep that he became suicidal. After went into all kind of affairs, drugs, alcohol, everything else, messed up his life so bad that get this, he found himself deliberately driving his brand new Ferrari 190 miles an hour toward a bridge to kill himself. And just before he crossed the point of no return, he thought of his small children and thought, what in the name of God am I doing to my kids? I'm gonna mess up their future. Slammed on his brakes and narrowly avoided killing himself. What caused all that? What was the mistake that brought him so much despair and distress? He bought into the very lie that we've been told our entire lives, that if you work harder than anyone else and believe in yourself, you will succeed and be happy. That's a lie. Part of it is true. You do work harder than anybody else. You do believe in yourself. You will succeed. But it's the be happy part at the end of that that is often so misleading. Just because you succeed doesn't mean you're going to be happy. Wouldn't it be great if it worked out that way? But it seldom does. The truth is, is that nothing can satisfy the emptiness within you that only God can feel. Not success, not titles, not championship belts, not Ferraris, not money, nothing. You hear about the woman who was walking on the beach in Perdido Key, Florida, just Perdido Key, Florida, just a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think it was. She saw a bottle with a piece of folded paper inside that had washed up on shore, and she opened it and read the message. And it happened to be the suicide note of George Gumpert Jr., who took his life at the age of 27. Would you like to find that on the beach? And it read, What do you do? When you find out the answer you've been chasing your whole life is really just the next question. Wow. What do you do? You lean your ladder against that wall right there and you climb up and get to the top and you say, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm not happy. If you can understand this, you can have happiness in God too. But it starts with God. I told somebody just the other day. In fact, it was yesterday. I was counseling with someone. I said, there's three things you need in your life if you're going to find fulfillment. Number one is God. 
Don't try to make your wife become God to you. She never will be. Don't. Number two, change your thinking. Why is that important? Because every single one of us have negatives in our life. Look around you. As many people as are here, that's how many people who have gone through negative experiences there are in this room. All of us have them. And people come to me for relationship counseling and often it's about not issues that are current. It's about perceptions that were formed years ago. And so years ago, the wife or the husband didn't quite measure up. And now then you look at them and they're everything you'd want in a husband or a wife, but I'm not happy. Why? Because I'm focusing on the things that were negative and I haven't gotten over it yet. And you have to change your thinking. You have to do the Philippians 4, 8 thing. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely. Hello, somebody. Think on these things. You literally have to refocus your thinking and get your eyes off the negatives. So the first thing is fix your relationship with God. The second is change your thinking. And the third is this. Find a place to invest a part of your life and time into a cause bigger than you. Because you're never going to feel content working for the company you're working for. You need a cause that's bigger than the company that is employing you and giving you a paycheck. You need to to devote your life and your time to something that will outlive you. Can I hear somebody say amen? And to that effect and to that end, don't forget the training. On November uh, November 30th and, and December the 1st, I'll be here. Because we're going to need your help. But if you get those three things fixed in your life, get your relationship with God fixed. Change your thinking and stop focusing on the negatives. And number three, you get busy doing something in a cause bigger than you. You're going to be fulfilled in a way you have never been fulfilled in all of your life. And that is why 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, Godliness with contentment is, say it with me, great gain. Come on, say it, great gain. You're way ahead of the game if you can have God and contentment too. So don't buy into this old thing that used to teach us that if you become a child of God, that you got to take a vow of poverty for the rest of your life. That's not what it's about. What God wants to do is bless you. He just wants you to love him instead of the blessing. I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. And if you get the thing with God fixed, God can trust you and bless you. As you come to know God and get that that relationship factor that I'm talking about fixed, like Moses, you begin to realize something very important. You realize you don't want to live a day without him. You don't. He becomes the divine obsession of your life. A.W. Tozer prayed, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. Wow. That is so true. If you ever ever, ever have an encounter with God and a real relationship begins to form, here's the way it works. You take one step. You can't help but take another one. And you can't help but take another one. Because once this touches your life, you discover this is what was missing right here. This is it. This is what I've got to have for the rest of my life. I used to hate that book, Oliver Twist, when I was in school. Y'all remember that from literature? Who, who read Oliver Twist in school other than me? 
Whoever decided to put that in the curriculum ought to go to jail for 10 years. It was the most boring book that I ever read as a teenager. I love it now because of the story it tells and the meaning and depths in it. But little Oliver Twist is an orphan in the streets of London. He gets put in an orphanage. And he doesn't know you're only supposed to have one bowl of gruel soup, which is just basically water. And so it comes time to feed all these kids, and he eats his, and he walks right back up to the soup cauldron and holds his bowl up and says to the guy ladling the soup, more, sir. And everybody gets deathly quiet. And somebody said, Oliver, ask for more. Oliver, ask for more. And it went all the way up to the head of the orphanage, knocking on the door. Sir, Oliver, ask for more. When you get a touch of God in your life, you'll find out you cannot help but hold the bowl up and say, More. I want more. I want more. That's the heart of this church. That's the heart of Inspire Church. Once known as Christian Tabernacle, we'll begin to roll the name out. It's the name you chose. Our heart is more of God. It was Moses' heart too. The forgotten shepherd and one-time prince of Egypt had an encounter with God in the desert at a burning bush that changed his life. It was that encounter that brought him back to the Egypt he said he had never stepped foot in again. And even into the very palace where he had fled 40 years earlier. What he realized and experienced at that burning bush when God spoke to him and told him, you have a destiny, a purpose, and I'm going to use you. When he found that out, it changed his life. You come Friday night and Saturday morning and find out what your purpose is too. Amen. And I can promise you this, when once God used him and that divine anointing began to flow through him as he stood before Pharaoh, at that moment you can't go back because there's nothing to go back to. Once God begins to use you and he, you realize his, you, he holds your life in his hand, it's amazing the transformation that you will experience. Amen. How the things of this world won't quite mean the same that they used to. Well, that's where we are. That's where Christian Tabernacle is. That's where Inspire Church is. God has left his indelible fingerprints upon us. We can't live without his presence. And so the question is, when we relocate, are we going to leave that presence here? Because like Moses, if we were, I'd say, God, you, you can leave me here. I'd rather stay in the desert because I, I know you're here rather than go where you're not. But God said, when you go, I'm going with you. Amen. Oh, somebody in the building ought to say hallelujah. And when you look at this story more closely, you will even discover that though Moses hesitated, and I want you to get this picture. For 400 years, they had been on their journey toward the promised land in their minds. But now it was happening physically for 400 years. They had been wanting to go to this place. God told Abraham that your descendants are going to settle there. But for 400 long years, they had been slaves in Egypt. And what kept them going is someday, someday, we're going to get to the promised land. Amen. Someday. Now then, God sends Moses to say, that day has come. It was also God who called Moses and told him to lead the people to that promised land. 
That people, by the way, did you know that God actually called those people in the wilderness, the nation of Israel, his church? Look at Acts 7 and 38. This is he that was in the wilderness, or in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai. It was the church in the wilderness. The point that I'm making is God moves his church. God said, I'm the one that's telling you to go, Moses. I'm the one that is telling you that the time has come, Israel. It was God that caused the waters to part when the staff in Moses' hand was stretched out over the Red Sea. He couldn't have made that happen by himself. It was God that swallowed up Pharaoh's army. When they looked back, they could see step after step after step that they had taken where God had made things happen that nobody else could have made happen. And as pastor, I'm standing up here about to weep because I look at where we've come from and I know that it's God that brought us every step of the way. It's God that made it happen. We didn't get here by ourselves. We didn't. Just a moment ago, I even referred to the pledges that many of us made. I never could have done that by myself. It was God. And I look at, I I just say, God, how did you make it possible? I don't understand how you did it. And here we are as a church poised on the brink of moving into our promised land. But like Moses, we all understand one thing very clearly. It's about you, God. It's not about buildings. It's about you. As excited as I am to go there, and I spent two hours there yesterday with a general contractor and with Pastor Tony and Andrew, and we walked through that building, and it's, a, it's an amazing facility. As excited as I am to go there, I want to tell you something. If God doesn't go, I'd rather stay right here in this building. But I know that it's God that's made it possible. Leaving Egypt wasn't Moses' plan. It was God's plan. In Psalms 118 verse 23, it said, This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. I need somebody to say, God is marvelous. God is. Yes, he is. He's the one that opened the Red Sea. He's the one that made a way in the wilderness. He's the one that made manna fall on the ground. He's the one that made the rock pour forth with water. Oh, bless his name. He's the one that gave me the money to take care of my pledge. He's the one that caused that property to begin to go up in value. It's God that made a way. Can Oh, can I hear somebody in this building that knows what I'm talking about? Give God some praise right now. Hallelujah. You see, I remember whenever I took the board members over there. You see, nobody wanted to build in this whole northeast quadrant of the city of Houston. You know why? Because right over there, they were planning on putting in a penal institution, a prison. And who wants to build a house next to a prison, right? A business, school. A movie theater. And I felt the Lord. We were looking for property. And we found these two parcels of ground. And I brought the board over to look at them. And we stood there. And and, and seriously, it almost makes me weep to think about it. There wasn't a building in sight. Nothing but trees and marsh and swamps. It It was a mess. And I said, I think this is where God is leading us, guys. And there were a couple of, a lady or two and the board members as well. I said, which 
piece of property do you want? That one or that one? And they said, we want this one right here. And they chose the one that we're building on right now. And do you know that after we signed the papers, they announced the cancellation of the construction of the prison? And all of a sudden, that became one of the hottest areas of property in the city of Houston, projected to be the fastest growing area for the next several years. I didn't do that. That was God that opened that door. It was God that made a way. I'm not smart enough to make happen some of the things that God has made happen. So I know that God is the one that's behind all of this. Can I hear somebody say yes? what God wants. And I close by telling you the truth is, is that when Moses told God he wouldn't go any further without him, that God's glory was already on the move. It had already led Israel out of Egypt. It had already opened the Red Sea. It had already destroyed Pharaoh's army. <laughs> and for the next 40 years, God's presence continued to move from place to place in the wilderness. And had Moses stayed where he was when he made that statement... God would have moved on, but it would have been Moses who would have been left behind. You got to hear what I'm saying. Moses is saying, I'm not going without you. And God said, I'll go with you. But if Moses had said, I'm not sure, I'm staying. God said, I'm not, I'm moving on. And you follow me and you can be where I'm at. Hallelujah. That's the way it is. You don't want to be in the wilderness without God. How many of you have ever been to the wilderness in your life? I've been to it several times. But let me tell you, I'm not taking out a post office box in the wilderness. Don't be sending my mail there. Can I hear somebody that knows what I'm talking about say, don't be sending mine either? Amen. You may be in the wilderness right now, but let me tell you, it's exactly like the old preacher said, this too shall come to pass. You're not in the wilderness to stay. And I certainly don't want to be in the wilderness without God. The only place where the manna appeared was where the cloud was at. The only place the water flowed was where the presence of God was at. The only place they had divine protection was where God was at. God, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. When you study the history of the movement of God's spirit through the wilderness, you find it didn't even stop when they finally did cross into the promised land. First, the glory of God settled at Bethel, which means the house of God. Then it moved to Shiloh and stayed there many years. Then it moved from Shiloh to the house of Abinadab. And then it moved after 70 years from the house of Abinadab to the house of Obed-Edom. And then after three months in the house of Obed-Edom, David brought it to Mount Zion. And do you know that they had the tabernacle in the wilderness and they had it at Bethel and they had it at Shiloh? But by the time they got to the house of Abinadab, the old tabernacle was worn out and all they had was the ark. It's not about buildings, it's about his presence. That's what it's about. Because the ark was the symbol of his presence. Amen. And when they moved to the house of Obed-Edom, by then the old tent had long ago dissolved away and rotted away. But it didn't cause the glory to leave because the glory was represented by the ark. Amen. By the ark. When David moved it to Mount Zion, he built a new tabernacle for it. And they stayed there for 50 years and then it moved to the temple Solomon built. And then 
It stayed there for years until Israel sinned and they were carried away into captivity. And then 70 years later, they came back and rebuilt the temple and they called it Zerubbabel's temple. So I need you to get this. And then later, it became Herod's temple. What I need you to see is that it was called the tabernacle in the wilderness, the tabernacle of Moses. Then it became the tabernacle at Bethel. Then it became the tabernacle at Shiloh. Then it became the ark at the house of Abinadab. Then it was the ark at the house of Obed-Edom. Then it was the ark at the tabernacle of David. Then it was the ark at the tabernacle of Solomon. They changed and changed their name repeatedly through the Bible. And the glory did not leave. Instead, the glory increased because they were following after God. And I close with this. As believers, we must always be where God is, not where God was. I want to be where he's at, not where he used to be. Entire denominations that were once visited by God have been bypassed because they got stuck where God used to be and wouldn't follow him. People who once had an encounter with God get stuck and they don't follow God. They don't walk in new revelation and new truth. They're still saved like Israel was. When the ark was taken, they were still the people of God. But it became Ichabod. The glory is departed. I don't want to live when the glory is departed. I, I'm like Moses. God, I've got to be where you are. Amen. Don't get stuck where you used to be. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord, say it, is, there is liberty. Not where he was, where he is not where he used to be where he is hear what i'm saying today come on inspire church christian tabernacle listen to me right now we can't get stuck in the past we gotta go to where god is leading us why because verse 18 says we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What changes you, what transforms you, is moving from glory. You stay there, you don't get transformed. The word transformation or transformed comes from the Greek word metamorpho. And it's the same word we use to get our word metamorphosis. It's the word they use to describe caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's the very same word that is used whenever Luke talked about Jesus going to the Mount of Transfiguration. And suddenly the glory within him burst through his flesh. And everybody there began to see him shining brighter than the sun. When you move from glory to glory, guess what? The glory begins to shine through you into your community. Because your life is transformed. God is leading us. You don't want her to be where he used to be. Revelation 3 verse 1. The B clause. He told the church of Sardis. I know your works. That you have a name. That you are alive. But you are dead. I don't want that to be this church. I don't want that to be me. 
I don't want that to be inspired, church. I don't want us to get stuck in the past. I don't want us to get stuck in buildings. I don't want us, if we move to that building and God blesses us and we got to move to another one, all I can say is I am going where the glory is at. That's, I'm going to follow God. Can I hear somebody in the building stand to their feet and give God some praise right now, right where you're at? Would you give God some worship? Would you give God some worship? I want to tell you what the Lord told me. And this is months ago. He said, when the church gets ready to shift to its new location, there will be released in this house a spirit of breakthrough. Because this is a breakthrough for our church. And every one of you that are under the covering of this church are going to have breakthrough in your personal lives. Breakthrough. The next seven weeks are seven weeks of breakthrough. Somebody said it's a wrong time of the year. It's moving to the holidays. I don't care if it's a wrong time of the year. It's seven weeks of breakthrough starting today. Today. Today.